Uh, good morning. It is Doc Scott. We're on day 43, I believe. Um, I'll correct that later if I'm wrong. And of course, I want to talk about um, what happened in over the weekend with Todd Smith um, at the Remnant with um, North Island Church. Um, lots of things there. And, um, you know, just about revival in general, because revival is the biggest shame buster, since we're talking about shame, right? You know, I can relate everything to shame, right? Okay. So, um, well, because of the transformation that God does in the water, you know, it really does just wipe away years of shame and it moves the boulders of the things in our heart that we can't move. And, you know, I tell you, I saw some very, very transformational things happen in that water. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, water is the conduit for this revival. Um, and, um, sometimes that doesn't make sense that baptism is, but I think Jesus is really moving through the sacraments. And I think he's, um, there is something about sacramental reality that, um, puts us in touch with the unseen real. And there's a connecting. There's, there's something about our ability to connect to that which is true and real. And in the context of the sacrament, even baptism, communion, whatever we're talking about, there is, there's a connection where truth and encounter kind of meet in the um, sacrament itself. That the sacraments were never meant to be empty rituals. They were actually supposed to be encounters. In fact, um, the saints of old, when they would use water and holy water, I know it's kind of a, a strange kind of a thing for a lot of us. We see that as, you know, either Catholic or Episcopal, etc. But they weren't the only ones that used it. And they would pray into the water that the demons would fly. They would pray prayers of healing into the water. And I mentioned last week how I used, utilized water in one of the healing conferences um, that was actually a training um, in Denmark one year and essentially I watched what the power of the water does in connecting people to cleansing in that context. In the baptismal it's so much more because it's really about transformation. It's really about the old, everything old being left at the bottom of the pool, whether it's my fear, whether it's my shame, whether it's my, um, my sickness, you know, and, you know, the question that Todd asked and that we kind of asked even in the context of what we did at the remnant this past weekend with Todd is what do you want? What are you looking for in the water? Like, why are you here in the water today? And that's like a really, really, really good question because essentially what it's saying is, you know, what do you need? And what I watch happen is when people are in that place of vulnerability and they are connecting with the water in the baptismal pool, that suddenly their hearts just become like 
they, they get revealed in ways. They, they say what they really want. They repent of sins. They, they repent of things. They, they stand in for family members. They stand in for, I mean, essentially, it's kind of like that thing, the analogy of the stream that I talked about. The stream is this life force of love and anointing and presence that kind of emanates from us as the created you know, as the creator flows through us and the boulders that get in that stream. And so there is a, there is a grace that happens in the context of revival that moves things out of that stream that we could not move. Um, in other words, it's the same. There's a context for it in every revival. You know, in every revival, one of the ways that um, Rodney Howard Bound talks about it is this. He says, just get people under the anointing. That was his only goal. So when they were glued to the floor or they're in the baptismal pool, whatever the context is for what God is doing, because I do think there are sovereign places, sovereign times, sovereign outpourings. And in those sovereign, like many dispensations, if you will, God is doing something that is exceedingly beyond what we've ever been capable of doing. And there's something about us and our humanity that we quickly go to this place. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, you know, my, my heart is like a vacuum cleaner and it sucks in stuff. And sometimes stuff comes into the vacuum cleaner bag that I didn't even realize was there. You know, whether it was just repeated disappointments, repeated places of regret, repeated places of just loss. You know, life itself is hard, okay? And doing life, it does things to our humanity. And I think sometimes things get into that soil of our heart where we don't even realize that it's all there until suddenly it's accumulated. And it's like, oh, it's a boulder, oh, there's like a, a coldness in my heart in this place where I find myself judging this over here. And so I think by the very virtue of, of our humanity, there are things that come into the soil of our heart, not always intentional, but sometimes unaware. And I think devoid of the presence, it's like that um, passage in Mark 14, which in the message version is so incredible. You know, Jesus leaves the disciples for a few minutes and to go pray. He's getting ready to go and he's going to be crucified. And he comes back and he tells them, like, couldn't you guys keep awake? He says, you guys are going to enter the danger zone without even knowing it. He's like, part of you is ready for anything in God, but another part of you is like the lazy dog around the fire. There's this complacency. That's why, that's what awakening is all about. Awakening brings us out of complacency. And I want to say that complacency isn't always something that's intentional. I think sometimes life just beats the garbage of us out of us and we become complacent. And we go down the road, you know, removed from encounter. You know, if we're in a church where encounter really isn't the thing we're going after in terms of encountering God, um, then what happens to us then? The more, the further we get removed from the encounter with heaven, 
the more that my heart collects and the more that my heart changes sometimes without me even knowing it. And so I think we end up in some of those places, not always just with great intentionality, but there's an aspect to that passage in Mark 14 and the message that says, you know, you guys can enter the danger zone without even knowing it. It's not a judgment. It's a statement that says essentially, by virtue of who we are in our humanity, there is something about us that was created for presence, created to live and move and have our being in presence. And the further we move, we moved we are from encounter, the more stale the truth that we know becomes. In other words, when truth is not married to encounter, it loses the edge that it has in my heart. That double-edged sword gets dull because there's no encounter married to it that, that witnesses in my heart that the truth is real. And so that, I think that's what just happens to us by virtue of, of doing life. And if we do life apart from encounter, that's where we end up. And so one of the things that I just saw this weekend was just incredible transformation. Hey, Eddie, how are you doing? Um, just what it, you know, when you see someone who has been dry for years or hasn't had the encounter, it's, it's almost like we become unhinged in his presence. <laughs> it's like, and that's what I mean when I say there's a grace. Try to get that unhinged on any other time in your life, right? But there's a grace that comes with revival that unhinges me in the best way. And good morning, Regina. And it lets everything in here get access. Revival is about access to the human heart. It's about awakening that, that which has been shut down. And so we don't always realize, Jeremiah said, look, the heart is deceitful above all things. It doesn't know itself. We go on and sometimes we're deluded into thinking that we really, we're really okay. But we don't really know how unokay we are until we're okay. And that's why I say sometimes I have to have an encounter with heaven to realize that I, ooh, whoa, I need another encounter because I'm so far from okay. In other words, taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes I have to have a really big taste of his goodness to realize how much of his goodness I need. And that's what revival does, is it draws out this passion in us for his goodness. And I've heard a lot of conversation about the baptism and the, and the pool and, uh, and the water and, and whatnot. And I know that sacramental reality is real, that the unseen real is what we connect with in the context of the symbolic, which is the, the sacrament itself. But here's a way to evaluate. There's kind of three things that I've kind of just mulled around a little bit about that are good to kind of keep in the back burner. And that is form versus function. How do I know when I'm getting religious? When the form that you have created to facilitate the habitation of heaven 
no longer forms the function, creates or facilitates rather the function of habitation, then get rid of it. We can't get religious about form. That is, religion is all about form, right? Because the Pharisees say, here's the form and here's the box. The form is the box. When the box becomes the hindrance to the function of the Holy Ghost, it's time for it to go. And so in that, one of the things I think just to keep in our the back part burner here is, yes, Jesus has initiated revival in the context of the baptismal pool. And I will go after the baptismal pool in every context that we get sent, every place that we go, we will fill up that pool unless Jesus says no. We're going to fill the pool up unless Jesus says no. And if we go, like we're going to McCray, we're going to go to McCray, we're going to have a baptismal pool. If we go down here to Hopkins Homes, we're going to have a baptismal pool. You see what I'm saying? We're going to fill that thing with water and we're going to ask everybody to get in it and we're going to watch their lives get changed. But when Jesus says something different, I'll do something different. But as long as the form is facilitating the function, I'm going to do the form because it means he's in it. And that's what we know. As long as Holy Ghost is on it, do it. And right now, that's what he's on. And until, until he says different, when he changes, and, it, and, it's, and it's bound to change and evolve, there's already an evolution in place. Because in Dawsonville, there was an impartation in the water for revivalists. In the remnant, there's an impartation in the water. It is always broader than we think. But the contact point is the point that we will not lose until Jesus says he's not in it. Revival always evolves. It will evolve beyond the contact point. It will. And anytime, regardless of whether it's the baptismal pool, the altar, whatever, we just do, that's right, just do it. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it, right? Until we feel like Jesus says do something else. One of the biggest things that my wife got out of her healing of cancer in the pool at Bethesda, I want to tell you what the hallmark of her journey was. There's always going to be a boatload of people saying this, that, this, that, blah, 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 right? I don't care what people say. They're going to tell us a hundred different things we should do for cancer. They were trying to tell us all blah, blah, blah. Look, information is disinformation. Holy Ghost revelation is Holy Ghost revelation, and I'll take that. Otherwise, we're just doing information, right? I want revelation, not information. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So let's do that. So the biggest hallmark of my wife's journey was Jesus, what are you saying do? And Jesus said, go to Dawsonville and get in that water. We have to always just listen. Listen, we're never going to get away from that place. The minute we invest in a form over the function, we become religious. And the minute we stop listening, 
we become a Pharisee as well. The key to really staying current with Holy Ghost is to listen and to not just do what we do because it seems good to do. We do what we do because the Holy Ghost is on it. And honestly, that's 90% of what it means to pastor revival is finding out where God's at. And, and it's a landscape that unfolds. And as the landscape unfolds, it changes. And the minute you nail it down at any given point, you've become religious and you've already begun to seal the fate of the revival. Revival is a fluid experience in the Holy Spirit. And we enter into it by listening and by consistently looking at what God is doing. We don't marry a form. If Jesus is into the form, just like he's into baptism, like he's into the sacraments, I believe that Jesus, is, there is a resurrection of the sacramental right now. And I believe the sacraments connect us with the unseen real. Totally believe that. And right now the contact point has been baptism. And I will do that until he says don't. The key is not marrying to a form and revival, but marrying to Holy Ghost and marrying ourselves to what he's saying and looking at the horizon and the landscape as it unfolds and pastoring people through that process by seeing what he's doing and going where he's going. The other part that I think is good to keep in a back burner as we move forward is there are lots of forms of spiritual pride. And one of them is to criticize other movements. I'm, I'm, I'm always reluctant to do that and I always feel uneasy when we do that. It's like, it's easy to say and to highlight what we think God's not into. You know, we could talk about the Baptist, we could talk about the Methodist, we could talk about seeker-friendly, we could talk about a lot of things. Um, I worked, the first pastor that I served, the seeker-friendly church. That man loves Jesus. This is all I'm going to say about this. He loves Jesus. God was in his church. And... We have to always remember that the point of contact and entry is different for everybody. And just because someone, look, Jesus, whether we could call that religious if we want. If it makes us feel better, we can do that, okay? We can highlight what God's doing, and we can highlight about why certain churches don't let the Holy Spirit in. We can do that all day long. But I think if we do that, we forget one thing, that everybody is one encounter away. And we were all, and still can be, lest we listen to Holy Ghost, be the one that's religious. On any given day, you can be the religious one. You can be the Pharisee. I can be the Pharisee. Because on any given day, when I marry myself to a form and I lose track of function, on any given day, when I'm not flowing with what Jesus is doing, and I'm not surveying the landscape of what he's doing in revival and going where he's going. And if it's evolving and changing, 
I have to evolve and change with it. We are all so easily married to a form and we easily become the Pharisee. So let's not call everybody the Pharisee. The minute I call somebody else the Pharisee, I've become him. I've become him. The Pharisee, Jesus is the answer for the Pharisee and the sinner alike. And everybody is one encounter away from total transformation. And we don't think God can get into that church and this church. Do I think a big part of this revival is going to be outside the church? Yeah. Do I want to set up a baptismal pool in Hopkins home? You better believe it. I'm working on it right now. You better believe it. Do I think we should do it in the community? Yes. On the street? Yes. But at the same time, I know that revival always comes to the church too. Revival is about the church. Evangelism and winning the lost and the harvest is about the unsaved. And sometimes they're in both places. We've seen that, right? So let's not be religious about either one. Let's go after the harvest. Let's go after the revival in the church too. And let's take it beyond the walls of the church. And let's go for everybody, the Pharisee and the sinner alike. Because every one of them, I don't care which side of that one you are on, it's a continuum between sinner and Pharisee, right? Wherever you're at on that continuum, you're only one encounter away. And we can say, that God doesn't violate our wills. Well, you and I are here today as people who had a free will. How many of us know that Jesus moved heaven and earth to impact me in such a way that I would just yield to him? And how many of us, if it weren't for him as the grand initiator, let's remember who does this. It is easy to think We've earned this because we've prayed into it. Jesus earned it. Jesus earned it. I didn't. I don't care how much we've prayed into it. We can't, we can't go down the spiritual snob route and think we are owed something because we're not. Jesus is doing what Jesus did. Have we prayed? Have we sown? Yes. But who formed the prayer in your heart? Who's the one that initiated the prayer? Who's the one that heard what was in your heart before you prayed it? Let's not forget that apart from the grand initiator, we would where would we be? It is his initiation upon us that moves a heart to pray. We do not move him because we did. If he responds because we did, it's because he's being true to who he is. And it's because that the father says, my son already bought this revival on the cross. Subtle difference. He's not moving because I pray. He's moving because Jesus paid for this and his initiation upon me to enter into it with my prayer was something that was in the heart of the Father before I ever thought of it. He is always 
preeminent. And he is the one that has earned this. It is Jesus who has earned this revival. It is Jesus who has stirred my heart. It is Jesus who caused us to pray. It, he, he paid for this. This is a manifestation. Jesus, the Father, hears our prayer because Jesus is our intercessor. I'm not trying to make a big theological statement about prayer right now. I'm making a statement about the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things, that he is preeminent in all things. He is reconciling all things to himself. And that reconciliation began before he ever went to the cross because he didn't go there unaware. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was doing. It wasn't a haphazard act. This has been in the heart of the Father from the foundation of the world. When is that? It's called eternity in both directions. You figure that one out. I can't. It's always been in his heart to do what he's doing right now. It's always been in his heart. Yes, so the people don't think I'm a heretic and say that God doesn't respond to prayer. It's Jesus who set the equation up to need us. Not the other way around. He set this up from the beginning. He is the one that determined from the beginning that what he does, he wants to do in partnership and collaboration with man. He has, been, he has set that up from the beginning and we can always know that he isn't going to do it without us. But we must remember that it was his to do first and it was his initiation on us that drew us. Lest you come, I will never be drawn. Lest you initiate upon my heart, I can never enter in. It is always his initiation upon us. It's his to do. That gives me great confidence because if he's in it, <laughs> who's going to stop it? <laughs> yeah, I know there are a lot of things that we can do to muck up the waters. And there's a lot of things that we can do to whatever I just want to say this, he's in it more than we are. He sets us up for himself, that's right. It's a setup from heaven. Jesus is moving heaven and earth and all of heaven is travailing over what the manifest sun. He's in it more than we are. So we can know this with confidence, it's gonna happen. He is literally pushing righteousness by his spirit and, and literally like shoving it into the land. It's like being like pushed into the earth, into the hearts of men right now. He's establishing it with violence. So come Holy Spirit, we welcome the violence of heaven on earth right now. And we say thank you that it is because of you and for you 
and about you that we exist. And we thank you that you had this in your heart before we ever existed. Thank you, Lord. See you tomorrow.